Jonah Williams has requested a trade. Does your favorite team need offensive line help? Probably. What would it take for them to land Williams? We're examining that and what it takes to build a good NFL offensive line today on the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. You are Locked On NFL Scouting with the Draft Dudes, your daily podcast for NFL and college football scouting. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's better than this? It's guys being dudes here on the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. We're the dudes. I'm Joe Marino from Locked On Bills. He's Kyle Krabs from Locked On Dolphins. And we're here for you daily to discuss team building across the NFL on the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Ultimate Football GM. If you ever dreamed of becoming an NFL GM and managing your football franchise, then this game is definitely for you. To download the game, just visit ultimate-gm.com or look it up on the app stores. Our listeners get a 100% free boost to their franchise when using promo code LOCKEDON in the game. There it is. Right there, there it is. There it is for our, our video audience. Hello, Joseph. Happy Monday to you. Thank you. Happy Monday to you. Um. So we're talking Jonah Williams, Cincinnati Bengals, trade value. And when we coordinated this over the course of the weekend, the first thing that we both committed to doing was coming in with a proposed trade value that we would be willing to offer for Jonah Williams. Please confirm that you have done the assignment. You understood the assignment. You have a a proposed offer that you would call Duke Tobin an offer right now. Sure do have historical trades to reference. I did the homework. Okay. Because let, let's set the table on Jonah Williams. He was the 11th overall pick in the 2019 NFL draft. He's in his fifth year, fifth year option, $12.6 million fully guaranteed salary for this season. He's coming off a dislocated kneecap in the Bengals playoff run. And injuries have kind of been a thing in general for Jonah Williams during his time in the NFL. So, Joseph, is there anything I left off as far as introducing Jonah? There, there's quality play here in spurts. Mm-hmm. I think we should probably acknowledge that too. But is there anything else from a table-setting perspective before we find out what each other's trade offer is for the first time? No, Kyle, I think that pretty much gets us to the point where we're ready to have the conversation. In the next segment, we'll talk a little bit more about Jonah Williams, his story, how we got here with Orlando Brown being signed, all of that. But I'm ready to talk about what I think this compensation, what this package would look like. Okay. Is there more than one asset being traded to Cincinnati? In your I don't mind? think there has to be. Okay. So do we do the thing now? We count down the three, and in the E and three, we reveal what we would offer? We can. I, I mean, I have, a, I have a foundation for my answer. Of course I do. I'm sure you do as well. I do, yes. So, all right, let's, let's just get the compensation out of the way. Okay. And then we'll, we can defend our stance if we feel it's egregious. Okay. Three. One. Do the thing. One. Two. Three. Fourth round pick. Fifth round pick and a conditional 2024 pick. A conditional pick you put in there. So here's the thing. If I'm trading for a guy in a contract year, I'm not giving you... I want to give myself the out 
to get out and not have over-invested in a player that's only going to be here for one year. So my conditions are largely rooted in, does he sign another contract with me? Well, I think that's a great thing to bring up because I would assume if I'm going to make this trade, and if you make this trade, you're on the hook now for the 12.6 million dollars fully guaranteed it's a flat number there's nothing you can do with it right there's no flexibility whatsoever i'm not really interested in parting with an asset and committing a hard 12.6 million against my 2023 cap to jonah williams so if i'm going to be interested in making this trade it's going to come with my willingness and desire perhaps even commitment from jonah williams to to have an extension done now that brings up a whole nother world of questions, problems, and problems, problems. <laughs> right? But that's my understanding. I'm not absorbing that money without more of a commitment, and of course, I'm going to have to ask myself questions about that beforehand. So, and here's the thing: from my perspective, is I think Jonah Williams is a would be a better guard at the NFL level than he would be an NFL tackle. No question. So now it's like, okay, if you're a team that needs guard help, you could trade for Jonah Williams, but now you have to ask yourself the same exact question. Are you going to take on $12.6 million fully guaranteed as a salary at the guard position, or are you going to give him a new contract extension to reduce that number before he ever plays a snap at that position when he's coming off of an injury? And injuries have always been a thing. Yep. Yeah, he's had quite a quite a bit of injury issues uh missed his entire rookie season due to the shoulder um was placed on ir after what 10 games in 2020 with a knee injury congrats on 2021 you made it and then last year he dislocated both kneecaps and the most recent one coming in the wild card round of course required surgery so you're you're signing up for significant injuries in three of the last four seasons is there any question if they could have got the mulligan they wouldn't have taken the fifth year option here like, is, Prob- is the, is the fifth-year option and what you're going to get to return a trade, it's better than nothing, but is it is it going to be worth the potential headache of trying to move him? Well, when I say congrats on 2021, he made it 16 starts. Of course, that was the season was the after that that they had to make that decision. So they got this sample size. It was clearly his best season. Correct. Um, he did everything he could to – force that decision to be made. And, and so I understand why the Bengals made the choice. Now we have mm-hmm. new information. And of course you'd love to go back and change your mind on that, but that's not how this works. So what did you see? We, we both watched part of our weekend was watching Jonah Williams to kind of be prepared for the trade value. And, and you said you have historical mm-hmm. data. I know that that's your big thing is, is going back through and, and finding examples of parallels. So what did you find, and then what did you actually see from Jonah when you watched him on tape? The trades, the historical trades that popped for me when landing on what I thought was the fair offer, which was a fourth-round draft pick, um, I went as far back as 2018. This one popped for me. Trent Brown went uh, for a three in 2018 uh, with the 49ers and, and Patriots trade. Trent Williams, and that's an interesting situation, certainly – Jonah Williams is not nearly the caliber of player Trent Williams, but another situation where you knew the trade had to happen. That was a three and a five that stood out to me. Um, Gabe Jackson for a five, uh, Cody Ford for a five, 
Rodney Hudson for a, and a seven for a three. Those are types of the types of trades that really pop for me um, when exploring these possibilities. Even Austin Corbett for a five were, were the types of trades that gave me some context to look at and um, put me in the right neighborhood, I think, in terms of developing that trade package. So can I jump in before you we get into Jonah, the player? Yeah. Tate? Um, I'm glad that there were a number of historical examples of threes and fives because that was kind of my – you could have playtime stipulations and then you could also have second contract stipulations. And for each one that's cleared, I'd be willing for that, that 2024 pick to go up around. So my thought was I'm going to offer you two fives. And if Jonah plays the full season, the five becomes a four, or if Jonah plays more than 12 games, the five becomes a four. And then if I sign another contract, the four becomes a three, or if he plays less than 12 games, but he still signs a second contract, the five becomes a four again. So I was willing to go to like a three and a five as the best case scenario, but I needed to know that I was going to get an ROI that warranted the top 100 pick when I was trading for him. So that's why my big pick would be coming in 2024. I think it's a reasonable hedge, Kyle. Who do you, If you're the Bengals, would you rather have the four or would you rather have the five and a conditional pick next year? Like, who do you think anonymously, because we came in here and we, we didn't discuss what our own offers would be, but knowing what both of the offers are, what would you, as the Bengals, take? I'd have my concerns about him meeting those conditions, um, whether it's availability or the team wanting to <laughs> to to sign themselves up for right. that. I, I'd have concerns about both of those things. So I'd probably take the straight-up four and – move on because I think for Cincinnati the real value here also comes from the cap space that you clear up you clear up that 12.6 million right off your books and of course we know the Bengals with all the contracts that are coming they're going to need that plus I mean now they need a right tackle like part of this entire move was made with Orlando Brown to move Jonah Williams to right tackle he's not interested in that Lyle Collins tore his ACL like at Christmas they can cut him and free up six million dollars so they need to figure out the right tackle situation. Okay, so Jonah, the player. It's a really interesting case study. I know we, we got to get ready to go to break here in just a minute, but Jonah's a really interesting case study for length as an offensive lineman because he does not meet the typical standards for thresholds for length. And I think he's a really good case study in my mind uh, for why length actually is relevant and, and you can't dismiss it because if you're not going to have the length and you're going to play at tackle, I thought Jonah did a nice job getting out of his stance and, and taking angular sets and, and closing the distance to speed rushers off the edge. But when you have to do that and you are even marginally strained in doing so, you're leaving yourself on an island for two-way goes. I thought speed slipped across his face and he got beat inside a number of times with speed. Um, and you, if you don't have the redirectability and you don't have the length to steepen those angles, that's where it gets dangerous. Versus if you're putting that player inside at guard, it's more close quarters combat. My lateral landmarks aren't so steep, and therefore I'm a little bit more naturally protected by the bumpers on either side of me for those bowling aficionados who are bowling aficionados, but go bowling and use bumpers, you understand that <laughs> reference quite well. Um, so I think that that's, when I think about Jonah, that was the number one thing that I observed, was just that that length really 
did at show up at times for me. Yeah, I, I would I would agree with you. I'll have more to say on that in just a moment. Of course, we're going to get into how the Bengals got here, what Orlando Brown brings to the table, that entire situation. But first, today's episode is brought to you by Ultimate Football GM. If you like team building, of course you do. do. You're listening to this podcast, and you have to check out Ultimate Football GM. When you play Ultimate Football GM, you get to control and manage every strategic aspect of your team as you, you play through the seasons and you try to build a historic dynasty. With Ultimate Football GM, you're responsible for hiring the right coaches, managing the finances of your team and negotiating the players salaries and terms navigating your franchise through free agency the draft injuries personnel issues all the ups and downs of a season and of course all of this in a challenging and realistic game world ultimate football gm is completely free playable offline on the go as you want and when you want to locked on nfl scouting listeners get a 100 free boost to their franchise when using promo code locked on in the game store that's locked on so make sure to check it out today to download the game, just visit ultimate-gm.com or look it up on the app stores. That's ultimate-gm.com. Ultimate Football GM, start your dynasty today. I don't know what, what I enjoy more, the 10 to 15 minutes that I want to separate myself from whatever's going on in my day where I'll play a season or when I go completely down the rabbit hole and I look up and an hour and a half has gone by and I've done a decade of, mm. of seasons. It's all good. It's all good. There's no way to lose there. It's fun. That's right. Uh, also fun is discussing the Bengals' left tackle situation and, and obviously making a large commitment to Orlando Brown Jr. And, Joe, I know you had some numbers as, as far as comparing and contrasting Orlando Brown Jr. and Jonah Williams from a, a protection standpoint, but I wanted to give you a chance to, to finish whatever thoughts you had on tape for Jonah. Yeah, Jonah Williams is a player that I've been nervous about for a while now. I, I – Watched the Bengals a ton over the summer. Um, and then, of course, throughout last season. And Jonah Williams is a player that I've been concerned about. Um, I think, like you mentioned there, the length really shows up. He's outreached a lot. And when you can't get your hands fit, you're always trying to establish hand positioning. Meanwhile, other guys are getting into your chest and really being able to set up their their rush plan. It makes it difficult. And it feels like there's a very s- seamless opportunity for him to go to guard and really maximize his skill set, hide some of his his issues, and just get more out of him. I don't know how willing he is to do that. It doesn't sound like he wanted to go from left tackle to right tackle, right? I think that's an important thing for us to designate here. The plan here, when they made the decision to sign Orlando Brown, was to move Jonah Williams to right tackle. He can continue starting for the Cincinnati Bengals, and he said, you know what, I want to seek a trade. Now, the Bengals haven't always been ready to meet those demands, right? We've seen that, whether it's Carson Palmer. Yeah, Jesse Bates is another one. Uh, Chad Ochocinco, right? This stuff has happened with the Bengals, and they're not always quick to do anything about it, right? So that doesn't mean that Jonah Williams is going to be trade, but it certainly feels like there's some momentum. And you you look at the Bengals, and they could certainly use the cap space, right? But they do need an answer at right tackle. Um, I I just – I feel like he needs to be open to a move, and – the perception of him across the league is going to be interesting, right? Because I don't know that teams are going to look at him and say, you know what, there it is, that's my left tackle. And that obviously changes a lot of the course forward. But I think one of the most interesting dynamics here with Jonah Williams, which we've established, is yeah, he's 25, he'll turn 26 in November, but the injuries have been very, very significant throughout his career. Dislocated both kneecaps last year. 
Orlando Brown, while he's one year older, he's 26 years old, he turns 27 in May. My guy has never missed a game in five seasons. He started every single game over the last four. And from a fit perspective with how quick of a trigger that Joe Burrow has in getting the football out, that's going to play well to Orlando Brown, who's not the most fleet of foot, right? He's a big, huge, massive dude with incredible length, and there's a lot to get around. But because Joe Burrow is such a quick-triggered quarterback, I think it hides some of those issues as well. I think this is the Bengals saying we need reliability at left tackle, and whether it's performance or whether it's availability, we haven't gotten that from Jonah Williams. Yeah, the best best ability is availability, right? Yes. And, and I think here's here's something that is not a problem that Jonah Williams is going to have to worry about this year because he's under contract for 12.6 and, and that in the grand scheme of some of the other um, deals that have been given out is a reasonable number. When you look at McGlinchey getting 17 and a half and Jawan Taylor getting 20 per and Tunsil just resetting the market at 25 for the second time. Um, and I know we, we had kicked around the idea of getting into the Tunsil stuff, but I, I think about what the market looks like at offensive tackle in free agency. And there, there seems to be this very clear delineation between like the haves and the have nots. As far as Kayla McGarry got 11 and a half. Yeah. And I thought Kayla McGarry was better at, at right tackle this past season than McGlinchey was by far. I thought he was better right tackle than Jawan Taylor was this season. But scheme-specific player, I suppose. I'm not sure. You get a little further down, and you got Riley Reef signed for five. Tyron Smith for six with his rework contract. Trey Pipkins got seven. I mean, it's, it's Andrew Wiley, who's a good starting right tackle for the Chiefs, got eight for the Commanders. Like, if I, if I am Jonah Williams... I'm probably looking at the contracts that are being signed now. And it doesn't give me any peace of mind that me staying at left tackle is going to get me this big second contract. The NFL has just shown with a number of guys that needed second contracts or reworked contracts that unless they view you in a certain light, you're not touching that stratosphere of money. And I don't think Jonah Williams is going to get that alleviation unless he stays healthy for 17 games wherever he plays in the same way that he did in the third year in which they had to make the fifth-year option decision and blows it out of the water. I, I think the NFL has taught us something this offseason <clears throat> that I didn't expect and that they're willing to have a middle class at position groups, whether it's quarterback, you mentioned offensive tackle, linebacker, safety, not everybody that's young and good resets the market. And that's that's a good thing because I thought the, the NFL was kind of trending towards something dangerous there where even if it wasn't premier money, it felt like everyone was signing for $10 million a season, right? It's like, oh, you're right. a pretty good starter, three years, $30 million, come on down. And we've seen a lot more players go for that $7, 8000000 million a year range and a lot more delineation between the top and middle and bottom of the markets. And I think this offensive tackle situation is just the latest example of that. 
Orlando Brown comes to the Bengals for an average annual value of $16.2 million, which is less than Mike McGlinchey, which is less than Jawan Taylor. I think you could point to Orlando Brown, and maybe you have concerns about how his skill set ages given the size and athletic restrictions. But Orlando Brown's clearly the most accomplished NFL player out of Jawan Taylor and Mike McGlinchey, who both got more than him. Yeah, and Jawan got 25% more to replace Orlando Brown. Which is a projection of itself to put him on the left side if that's the plan. I mean, they, they obviously lost Chiefs lost both tackles. I, I'd expect offensive tackle will be popular mock draft selection for the Chiefs oh, yeah. moving forward. Oh, yeah. Because they got to address that other spot. But um, I'm glad you mentioned that. And before we, we tell everybody about our friends over at FanDuel and we, we get ready to talk about constructing a good offensive line in general, I think the last point from an economic standpoint that I think is, is pretty interesting is you met, I'm glad you mentioned middle class and, and the NFL teaching us that. And you might think, well, how – how is it possible that you're just now learning that? And I, I think it's worth acknowledging that the trends of the salary cap in the NFL right now and the rate in which it's growing, it's growing at an exponential rate we have not seen before. So we are getting a lot of new information as the cap grows and player salaries are scaling and how they scale differently to the anticipated growth of the cap, especially with the new TV deals that, I mean, they're, they're projecting like 16, $17 million per season growth on the cap and what that exponential growth looks like versus what it has been. When you got a couple minutes of free time and you're not playing ultimate football GM or hanging out on FanDuel, go Google what the salary cap was for the NFL in 2010, Right. And now think about, now they're talking about it growing 15, 16, $17 million per season. So I'm really glad that you mentioned that middle class stuff, Joe, because a lot of the justification the last four or five years on some of these contracts is, oh, well, give it another three years. And by the time it Mm -hmm. cycles through, this is going to be like the the 15th highest AVV contract in, in the league. Well, that might not necessarily be the case anymore. And I think that how that changes everything from franchise tag values to contract extensions, to player negotiations, to free agency with the middle class and willingness to, and the haves and the have it's, it's all really interesting stuff. And that's, that's how we have a market to do this show in general. Well, like all things in the NFL, it's a quarterback driven league. And I wonder how much quarterback contracts and what teams are having to right. pay those it's impacts these other positions. It's like, okay, these guys are getting $40 million if they're like, okay, well, that, that has a, a relationship with all the other positions where some of these players that we expected to be getting potentially $5 million more per season, well, you don't stuff. get that going to the quarterback. I love this stuff. Yeah, I do too. That's that's why this podcast is something we're really passionate about. And good Lord, there's so much to talk about. Uh, we're going to talk about how to create a successful offensive line in the NFL in just a moment. But first, I need to tell you about FanDuel. The NCAA tournament is heating up, and now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook, because new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 as bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to point scores and threes drained, and there's no better sportsbook to place your bets than FanDuel plus FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same-game parlay. So don't miss your chance to get your no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, 
an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Okay, Joe. So let's talk about construction of a good offensive line. Because I don't know about you. Well, I do I do know about you. You're, you're not as hurting as I am for a good offensive <laughs> okay. line. Okay. Well, you know, I know I know. right tackle's kind of been a, a mystery bag for Buffalo for the past couple of years. And the left guard spot with with Roger Saffold didn't materialize the way that, that probably everybody hoped, right? So you got a couple spots. The Dolphins, ironically enough, are looking at right tackle and left guard as two upgradable spots as well. So construction of a good offensive line. Um, do you know who the top salary cap commitments are in the NFL for their offensive lines this upcoming season as things currently stand? I don't. Would you like to venture any guesses? Who has committed the most cap space right now to offensive line? Yes. The Eagles come to mind? The Philadelphia Eagles are fourth. Okay. $56 million in cap space currently committed between Mytala. They just let Isaac Samalo go, who signed a great deal for Pittsburgh, three for eight yeah. per Three for 24 total for Sayamal is a great value for Pittsburgh. Um, so Philadelphia is, is fourth with $56 million after letting Isaac Sayamal go. How about the Lions? The Detroit Lions are number one with almost $64 million in cap space committed. Four of their top eight salary cap hits on the team mm. are offensive linemen between Taylor Decker and Frank Ragnall, and those are two of the top three. And then you have Big V, Vitae, who, like, missed the whole year last year? Yeah, it's been a minute since he's been consistently and, available. And uh, Penny Sewell is a top 10 pick entering into the third year of his contract is also in the top eight. I have one more guess, and then I'll let you kind of spill the beans on the rest. I have to think if this is counting the new deals, the Broncos are, are absolutely in this club. The Broncos are not in this club. Really? Maybe it's because the year one cap hits are not 40. as high. eight, just below the Buffalo Bills and New England Patriots for offensive wow. line cap commitments. Okay. So they're, they're middle of the pack. Uh, the Houston Texans are number two. Really? So they have Titus Howard. Oh, I forgot they're paying him. Yeah. Just reset the con- the, the market with Laramie Tunsil. Here's a fun fact. The, the $25, $25 million per that they are averaging paying Laramie Tunsil is more than three teams having total cap commitments on their offensive line right now. Wow. Th- name names. We need to know those three teams. Yeah, I, you want to do the thing? Oh gosh! Um, so who's not spending anything, <clears throat> right, on the O line? Jeez. So I could tell you one of the two teams just got rid of two starters. Oh, that it's were, the Chiefs for sure. The Chiefs are not really. They're only paying million. Tooney. All those rookies. They just paid Jawan Taylor. Forgot about Juwan Taylor. Yeah, it's easy. Yeah. yeah, you're still learning. I got to relearn the league. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's that's the worst part about this time of year is there's so much that happens so quickly that by the time you you sponge it all up, it's like the middle of April, and then the Seattle? draft happens and it turns it all upside down again. Seattle, who's Seattle? Paying Seattle is line? number two. Okay, nineteen point nine eight million in cap space, and I think they're big. They're big. They're big contracts like Phil Hayes, <laughs> right? <laughs> Man. Other than the, the two tackles they just drafted. Come on, you should get one of these. I should? Yeah. Who is the worst offensive line in spite of their the style of football that they actually choose and commit to play? 
Oh, the Titans? The Titans are dead last. Fifteen point eight eight million in cap commitments for this upcoming season. They let I Nate was... Davis they let Nate Davis go. They cut Taylor Lewan. They had Aaron Paying Brewer. Andre Dillard though. Uh Ben Jones left. Like Yikes. Yeah. It's tough. It's tough sledding there. Uh the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are the the other team under twenty to twenty five per for Laramie Tunsil. And they cut Donovan Smith. They traded Shaq Mason. They've got Tristan Wirfs on a rookie contract. They've got a rookie at left guard. And then they have Ryan Jensen at center, who's a that's a low value economics-wise. So those are your three teams that are committing less to their offensive line than the Texans are committing to Laramie Tunsil. Annually. Yep. Wow. For now. For now. For now. For now. For and now. even and that, for now, that's still crazy. Right. The Atlanta Falcons are third highest with 57. They gave Chris Lindstrom $20 oh, million per yeah. and Caleb McCary, they just got back on a good deal, but then they have Jake Matthews at the other tackle spot. Man, that Chris Lindstrom deal, like you have to start asking yourself questions there. Like how much different of a player is Chris Lindstrom to Isaac Ciamalo to the point where we're talking about difference. Yes. Huge, huge man. Well, and that that's for locked on dolphins today. I ended up talking about Jonah Williams because dolphins fans heard he was available. I was like, you got to trade for him. Chris Greer, wake up and address the offensive line. It's been a problem for forever. And they're not wrong, but like, I'd rather sign Dalton Risner to a one-year deal for yeah. five or $6 million right now than trade for Jonah Williams. Yeah. No question. Um, I'd be interested in your thoughts on this week. This is now what the fourth show that we've done, and we're going to reference Jimmy's and Joe's versus X's and O's again. So it'll be a thing. Um, what's your stance on offensive line, Jimmy's and Joe's versus X's and O's? Should we change it to Kyle's and Joe's Kyle's instead of and X's Joe's, and O's? Kyle's and Joe's versus X's and O's. That <laughs> print the shirts. That's going to be the next shirt <laughs> we show up with. Um, because the, the the thing about offensive line play, and this is a bit of feedback that that I've had in some of the conversations that I've had is that the offensive line coach and the coaching of that unit is paramount. Mm -hmm. And it's probably the one position group where if you could choose high end talent or high end coach, you might want to take the high end coach. Yeah. No question. It's about those five guys working together, right? It's a sum of all of it as opposed to the, each of the individual parts. And that's why you could really, you could really ruin a, a good collection of talent by having too many tomato cans in the unit. So I know you, you've had some offensive line coach conversations in the last year. What are, what are some common trends about getting those pieces to be complementary to one another? Well, I think it's first of all, understanding what type of offense you are, you know, what, what do you want to accomplish? What are the objectives of your offense? And then getting the appropriate collection of talent to run it. Um, I know that we talk a lot about where you're supposed to adapt your scheme to your players, right? Mm -hmm. Well, that's all good and dandy, but you can't just have, a bunch of offensive linemen that are some that profile better to other schemes, right? It has to be a good collection of talent that um, can work together to accomplish your objectives, right? If it's a zone, outside zone scheme, gap power, if you're going to vertical set a ton in the passing game, if you're going to be quick setting West Coast, get the ball out quick, you're going to be attracted to different styles. So I think it's about having the right mix of talent that can work together, right? That's kind of where this all comes to a head is it has to be able to work together. Yeah. Well, especially you think, you think about these zone systems too, and the spacing up front being important, right? And everybody's kind of working towards a landmark. And if you get on uneven levels or if the flow is not equal because players are lagging behind, 
just know that's going to create a bottleneck for everybody behind that player on the backside yep. of wherever you're going, right? So now there's a, a very clear cutoff, and that creates a clear cut lane for the back, but it also does not produce the climb that's necessary to cut off pursuit from the backside of that play because you're not getting up to the second level if everything's backlogged on the first line of scrimmage. So that's just a, like a really basic elementary example, but then you, you think about from a protection standpoint and depth of pocket and the integrity of the inside of the pocket versus conceding pressure on the outside and that whole discussion on how that works. So I, I guess ideologically speaking, with the way the game is being played and, and the athletes that you have at quarterback, are you more willing to live with a tomato can at guard or a tomato can at tackle? I would live with the tomato can at guard. Um, and influence the inside of your pocket? Well, see, in a vacuum, that's a hard question to answer. Right. Because if my quarterback's Patrick Mahomes, I have a different thought process there than if my quarterback is Joe Burrow. I think that's the most fun thing about Joe Burrow in general, to, to kind of bring this back to the Bengals, is the way he plays the game is generally so much between the ears. Like, he, he is the quintessential example of, like, getting in the right play, understanding what is happening, and understanding when you got to make some concessions with the play and just live to fight another play versus the outside of structure components of Joe Burrow, which are, are nice, but they're not Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Jalen Hurts level it's of contributions styles. to outside yeah. of schedule. I'll say this, though, and maybe this can help advance our conversation. The one place where I will not have a tomato can is at center. I think yes. that this is a critical position for every NFL offensive line where the football intelligence has to be there, your FBI. So write that down for everybody. We're going to talk about FBI a lot. That means football intelligence. But it's it's not just that. You need to be able to help with all your protection calls and, and those types of things. But I need range. Yeah, I need you to be able to pull. Weapon. Spot yeah, dude, your ability to for game. longer pulls, climb to the second level, to work laterally, um, you're going to be uncovered probably a decent amount of times. Where where are your eyes? Do you understand how to slide and get to the right places to help with your protection schemes? All of that's critical. And so, I feel like for a while, center was such an uh, like a overlooked position. I think it's evolved into an absolutely critical position and requiring a number of different abilities for you to be really effective. Yeah. I mean, and just the element of there's two players who touch the ball on every play, too. Yeah, that's true. Center's one of them, right? So you mentioned that FBI and understanding where I need to go, where the protection needs to go, if, if that's something that he's responsible for. And I know that a lot of quarterbacks handle that, but not every quarterback at the NFL level is handling that. Some of those are centers and making all the calls. And um, I agree with you wholeheartedly. They're, show me a good NFL offensive line, and odds are they have an excellent center. That's the keystone of the whole thing. It's like Jason Kelsey and the Eagles. Correct. Or the, the, <laughs> or the, the Kansas City Chiefs and, and Creed Humphrey. And that that happened quick, man. Yeah. Like, that's part of the, the concern that I have with a young player at center is just how quickly can they really be an asset to the overall. How did, they, how did Creed Humphrey not go earlier in the draft? <laughs> he he He... he if I were an NFL GM, he didn't make it to the end of the second round. It didn't happen. Okay, go ahead. No, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. But <laughs> but if you could scroll back a few 
thousand we're, episodes maybe we're, we're we're tapping we're done we're done before joe gets on his soapbox i'm gonna save everybody from from the receipts being pulled out you guys can go check them out yourselves kyle Krabs, joe marino make sure you keep it locked in right here on the locked on network your team every day we have all of your teams from a team building perspective here on locked on nfl scouting with the dudes we appreciate you guys checking out the show we hope you have a great rest of your monday we will be back again tomorrow so make sure you hit subscribe you can find the show on youtube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts make it a great rest of your monday we'll see you all again tomorrow